Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Welcome to this special edition of Compliance Beat. This is Eric Moorhead. And this is part two of Privacy Bulletin, a discussion on the California Consumer Privacy Act and privacy compliance with Teresa Troster-Falk. Uh, if you haven't listened to part one, which was uh, posted a week ago, please go back and listen to that. Uh, that uh, discussion was primarily about the new uh, upcoming uh, uh, California Consumer, for Pri- Consumer Privacy Act. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, uh, GDPR and other state laws in comparison uh, and some other questions around uh, the implementation of the California Consumer Privacy Act with Teresa. Uh, That'll be coming up in a minute. Uh, So again, if you haven't listened to part one, uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to that first and then listen to part two, which will be upcoming in just a minute or two or three. (laughs) I have a few announcements. Uh, First announcement uh, I've been mentioning uh, for the last few episodes that uh, the 18th Annual Compliance and Ethics Institute uh, for the Society for Corporate Compliance and Ethics, SCCE, is coming up. It's going to be at the Gaylord National National Harbor uh, Resort uh, just outside of Washington, Washington, D.C., September 15th through the 18th. Uh, if you aren't already planning to go, you probably it's probably a little late <laughs> as we're about a week away. But if you are planning to go, uh, I just wanted to extend an invitation for you to please, uh, if you're a listener, please do come by and see us. We're going to have a booth in the exhibit, exhibit hall uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. I think the booths get taken down sometime uh, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, so come by and see us Sunday evening, Monday during during the whole day or, or, or Tuesday. We'd love uh, to see you. I'll be in the booth quite a bit. Uh, the other thing is I'm going to be doing a presentation this year at uh, SCCE uh, with my good friend Kathleen Grilly, who is the general counsel of the U.S. Sentencing Commission. Uh, it's uh, the first breakout session on Monday, uh, which is at 10 a.m. Uh, Monday the 16th. Uh, it's 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, and it's uh, breakout session number 105, Organizational Sentencing Guidelines Confidential. Do chapter eight, does chapter eight uh, still matter to compliance and ethics? And if so, why? I think you know the answer to that question <laughs> from my perspective. It does still matter, yes. Uh, but we'll talk a little bit about um, the history uh, and uh, organization of the sentencing guidelines, a little bit about the Sentencing Commission for those who are uh, uninitiated into what actually the Sentencing Commission is. I think a lot of us are familiar with the guidelines because that's where the hallmarks are, but we don't necessarily know much about the commission. Uh, so that might be helpful uh, if you would like to get a little bit uh, more educated, if you will. Uh, it's a great time to uh, hear uh, the general counsel of the Sentencing Commission speak. And I like to think I know a little bit about <laughs> the guidelines as well. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be a fun hour. Uh, we always run over on that hour when we're talking about the guidelines. Uh, so for those of you who already uh, know something about the sentencing guidelines and for those that are uninitiated that are going to be uh, in D.C. for SCCE, we, we uh, appreciate you joining us. I should also mention I have a little bit of a cold, so if it's a little bit hard understanding me, I apologize. Uh, another upcoming event is a week from uh, yesterday, so next Thursday, September the 12th, uh, 2019 at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon 
Central, uh, I'm going to be particip- I'm going to be um, delivering a uh, webinar uh, called "What Do Compliance Communicate Communication Programs Look Like?" <laughs> Having a little trouble communicating myself, but what do compliance communication programs look like? So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, why communication programs are important. What the you know, expectations are around compliance communication. I'm going to talk a little bit about compliance planning, uh, compliance communication planning, rather. And then I'm going to talk uh, about specifically about putting together uh, communication assets. I'm going to walk through some very specific examples. We're going to talk through, for example, how to put together a poster. Seems like it's simple, but there are there are some nuances if this is something you're going to do on a frequent basis. And there are resourcing issues and all kinds of other issues that we're going to talk about uh, next Thursday. Day, September 12th, and that's what the Clear Law Institute. Uh, there will be a link in the show notes for this podcast if you want to go to the registration page. Otherwise, you can go to clearlawinstitute.com uh, and search uh, compliance communication programs. Uh, I found that if you search my name for whatever reason, uh, these programs don't come up, but if you search the title, uh, like uh, compliance communication programs, uh, you will be able to find it if you don't uh, go from the direct link from the show notes. So please join us for that. Uh, We really would appreciate it. As always, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, we really, really appreciate it if you would uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is that you uh, do get this podcast. We really appreciate our listeners, and uh, we, we really appreciate those that subscribe to the podcast. Um, this, as I mentioned at the top, is a second part of a two-part discussion on privacy and pen, both pending and existing privacy law. Uh, we've been talking to Teresa Trostrafalk, who uh, is the chief global strategist for Nimity. Uh, she has been uh, leading the global strategy uh, practice at Nimity for a while now. She's a thought recognized thought leader in the privacy space. We're really pleased uh, to have the opportunity to talk to her both last week and this week on these issues. Uh, she has uh, over 20 years experience uh, uh, as, a, as an attorney, but, but more specifically, uh, 14 plus years uh, just on global privacy. Uh, so a good person to talk to as we're heading into sort of uncharted waters here uh, with the new California law coming online here in a couple of months. And many of us still uh, reacting uh, to uh, GDPR uh, and a lot of other state laws here in the United States and uh, uh, laws elsewhere. Uh, so uh, this is the continuation of that conversation we started last week. Um, and uh, with no further ado, let's jump right in. So, Teresa, as companies begin to comply with the uh, California law we were talking about last time, uh, what uh, I'm kind of curious what the state of play is in other jurisdictions around the United States. Um, I, I, I imagine California is not alone. Uh, in focusing on these issues that have been in the headlines, as we were discussing last time, uh, what's uh, what are some other um, laws or or regime regimes out there that we ought to be uh, thinking about? Uh, if uh, or organizations ought to be thinking about? Yeah, well, you are absolutely correct. Uh, California is not alone. So at at Nimity, we track this every day and we have a tracker and a map and I look at it every so often. And the last time I did spoke on this, the map was different than it is today. I mean, it's just changing all the time. So Uh there was a time at which there were 17 states that had pending state bills. Um, We saw like flurry at the beginning of the year as 
um, up to 17 states were trying to pass comprehensive privacy law. For the most part, they have failed or been adjourned to when the next session starts. Uh So Uh what is the state of play exactly? California has passed. Nevada has passed and actually comes into effect in October. It's much narrower than California. Um, It does have a do not sell provision, but um, it doesn't have the expansive consumer rights. It really was meant to um, address uh, internet, you know, or service providers who provide services on the internet. So So you have to be like a website operator uh, or publisher, you know, collect information about consumers. So it doesn't uh-huh. go beyond that, like into the data broker world or, you know, sales. Then we have Maine also passed, but it's very specific to internet service providers. Still kind of, you know, around, maybe picked up next session, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Vermont, Washington. <laughs> okay. Why does all that matter? So you can, you know, decide if you're going to prepare for California. I'm going to wait for the amendments. But another reason not to wait too long to start putting in place just baseline privacy and, you know, initiatives is because how are you going to keep up? Right. You, you, You know, this is it is time to really start thinking U.S. companies thinking in a way that they haven't in the past about putting in place a comprehensive privacy program. You don't have to do it all at once, but if you know that consumer rights are the are the core kind of um, uh, privacy principles that are translating across, then start there. Uh-huh. Um, definitely up your security things. Start looking about who owns privacy in your organization. So there's lots and lots of state activity. Um, I believe there will be more. It's more likely to see more states pass than a federal law passed, though there's those who disagree. Um, Mm. And I guess we just don't know. But I can certainly argue it both ways. But um, yes, there will definitely be more states. So uh, when you talk about these different uh, pending state laws and the fact that, you know, organizations probably don't want to wait uh, just as we don't want to wait for the amendments in California before we implement. How how safe is it to uh, assume that the California law is going to be more uh, uh, more strict or broad? Uh, and if you comply with the California law, you're you're going to comply with these other laws. Are they potentially significantly mm-hmm. different enough that you're still going to have to go back and make changes? Or if you're California compliant, you're compliant potentially uh, with most of these proposed laws? Yeah, wow. Um, that's a really good question. And some of the, yeah, I, I think you should not assume that if you're compliant with California, you'll be compliant everywhere else mm-hmm. because there were some differences. So if you look at the Washington bill, for instance, that bill, which did not make its way through, maybe introduced back again uh, in January, was heavily supported by Microsoft. And it looked very much like the GDPR. So Uh it required much more than the California law, actually. Uh And that makes sense for an organization like Microsoft that um, invested a lot in um, adjusting, enhancing its procedures to comply with the GDPR globally. Uh gives them a competitive edge. But I think there's a possibility of seeing 
Um, I can't remember offhand if there was another state other than Washington that looked like that, but uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah, there's they they may not all look the same, and that's that is the the issue with fifty state laws, sure. right? And that is why some are saying we need federal legislation that will preempt yep. state. I don't see that happening. The state preemption will be the rub. Yep. Nancy Pelosi who has come out and said, "I will not support you know federal law that preempts state rights." And but on the other hand, uh, you know this from your compliance work too. It's all these years later, and we don't have federal security breach law, but we have fifty states sure. <laughs> security breach law, and somehow organizations have figured it out. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, the, the reporting reporting requirements vary, but the they've managed to to put together a, a regime for uh, reporting that that works, that, that regardless of which jurisdiction right. and how many days in particular they have to report. That's the thing. That's what we're yeah, trying to yeah. see. So Nevada's already 60 days, California's 45 yeah. days, yeah. GDPR's 30, and then they all have extensions. So figuring some of that stuff out. And, and then, you know, also apart from the law, there's almost de facto, it's not de facto law, but it's de facto compliance requirements. I'm going to call it that. That's mm. what I'm calling it. Nobody else does from my work, but it's just what I came <laughs> up with right now thinking about this, that, you know, it could be the advocacy groups that create a need mm-hmm. for compliance. So I'll give you an example on this. We, I, I saw this. I, I used to work in-house large multinational companies, legal departments, legal privacy um, programs. And, and one of those companies uh, supported... Um, advertisers and marketers uh, for direct marketing offline catalogs. And there was a period of time when the environmental groups were really active in trying to um, address all the issue of paper and catalogs. Uh-huh. So we started to see uh, from three companies in particular, these batches of opt-out requests coming from these companies um, who, you know, allegedly saying that consumers on there authorize them to provide these opt-out requests. We're starting to see that already with California. And it happened after the GDPR for sure, where these, you know, California being the innovative state that it is, I would expect there to be lots of small players innovating around this saying, we're going to help you consumer exercise your right under the California law and everywhere else and start sending these batches of requests. So whether it is technically required under the law in California or Nevada or anywhere else, I think these kinds of things, you know, we're at this moment in time when they might start taking off and you, you know, how I'm going to deal with that. Whether it's a strict requirement of the law or not, I need to figure out a way to do the right thing, you know, to honor. The the, the 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 expectation of the consumer and that and that mm-hmm. or oh and that 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 brings up a, another uh, question that I had you you mentioned uh, that the, the it's it seems unlikely right now but there is the potential for federal legislation is there a sense at least from what's been happening so far whether that legislation would look more like GDPR or have this uh, commercial focus that you that you were discussing. Uh, last time when we talked about uh, the California law, or or it's hard to know. <laughs> oh, you know that's a good question, and I and I um, have not reviewed those bills in a while. Um, so there were a few different versions, and one was a little more GDPR-ish, one was a little more California-ish, and one looked 
different, but I'm, I'm sorry that I can't provide all the details on that right now. The, what I know, what I can say is that organizations that have weighed in on this issue, specifically large multinational corporations, uh-huh. are wanting it um, to have elements of the GDPR, but not, but to reflect our, you know, our own unique history in the U.S. and how we have dealt with these issues, which allows for a bit more uh, free reign with innovation, if you will. Like, you look at the history of HIPAA, um, GLB, all of those, we've said, and look at, there's no regulation over Facebook, Google, et cetera. We've said, you know, sort of been a free reign period until now. But so we want to reflect that balance between, you know, our approach Uh um, while still providing more protection and time as we see there's more perceived harm. So, um, but I don't, I don't, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, Teresa, one of the, one of the uh, things you often hear in that regard is this notion that we're in, we're in a, a, a opt out uh, uh, culture rather than an opt-in culture for uh, where where the expectation is you're going to be included unless you say otherwise. Do you think uh, when you talk about uh, reflecting sort of our unique uh, position, is 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 that part of it? So the, I think that is part of it. So we don't have this notion. A couple of things of like an, in Europe, you have to have a lawful basis to process data. Mm-hmm right? Consent or legitimate interests or Uh, contract. Here we say, you can process data all you want. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And if you, but if you harm people and if they're, you know, it's discriminatory or those things, we're, we're going to um, either regulate you like we saw in health and finance, right? Uh Or Uh like the FTC is broad discretion to not regulate, but sort of mini regulate right through section five authority on um, deceptive practices or causing harm. So, yeah, I think that that is at the basis. We don't want to change the way we we do things, but we do want to protect people from being harmed and harmed in real ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that that is part of it. No, I, I mean, that's certainly when we were talking about GDPR, that was a concept that came up quite a bit is that, you know, this reflects a true, you know, cultural and uh, legal difference uh, mm-hmm. between our, our regime and, and uh, the typical regime in Europe. Um, it, and while we're speaking about GDPR, we've been kind of talking around it uh, both uh, this time and, and, and when we were discussing the Cal- new California law. Uh, it's been around for a while now. Um, and uh, your clients have been dealing with it for uh, uh, over over a year at this point. Um, w- can you uh, kind of give us a sense of sort of lessons learned? What what are some some uh, uh, takeaways from a year under GDPR? Yeah, so I think there's a big lesson learned, and that um, is when you're thinking about what I need to do today. I heard so many companies say, I spent way too much time assessing my gaps, like a ton of budget and resource, just figuring out where my gaps were uh-huh. or documenting my gaps that I didn't have as much budget resource and time then to develop my mitigation procedures. So uh-huh. 
I think for the most part, companies know where their gaps are. And with the CCPA, it, it's clear, like we're not talking about 55 different things. It's like nine things, right? Uh-huh. Respond to access requests, deletion, have something in place for deletion. My privacy knows like, you can probably know right now if you have something in place or not, right? So the big lesson learned is get to your mitigation quicker uh-huh. Spend less time on this formal assessment process. You'll also hear a lot of companies, um, and this is this is typical. Well, you have to do a full data inventory. Like, how are you going to really do any of this unless you know exactly where your data is? And logically, that makes sense, right? But companies have been dealing with these basic consumer rights data subject requests. For uh-huh. 20 years, they've been you know part of laws around the world. So if you're a multinational company, you've had to have something in place for a long time. And does a data inventory really help you get that done? I mean, it, it, arguably in some companies with sensitivity of data, you, you may have to do that. But what I know practically for myself, having gone through these exercises in organizations, what I hear from our clients, what I know from my peers is you can spend, again, so much time, budget, and resource on a complete data inventory that is already out of date before you even finish it uh-huh. and is only as good as, you know, the harass of the people filling out the questionnaires, if you will. So, so the two lessons I would say learned are spend less time on assessing, less budget on this comprehensive data inventory, though well, that's controversial, um, uh-huh. and get to putting in place those policies, procedures, practices, like get to the real stuff that's going to have impact. And also another big lesson learned, and this is something I think regulators also forgot about the GDPR. It is supposed to be risk-based. Uh-huh. So, you know, when you think about everything that you put in place, really think about your risk profile. And I would I would suggest that's important to think about with California as well. If you are yep. not a consumer facing organization, you know, you have no touch points. It's, you know, uh-huh. don't freak out. Like, yeah, yeah. Prepare. But, you know, like in the GDPR, how many email notices did you get at the last minute yeah. from companies that were <laughs> updating their privacy policy? And yeah. then you're like, I don't even know you had my, I'm definitely opting out. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was not necessary, but um, really think about your risk profile and, mm-hmm. and, and develop your plan according to that. Um, uh, the, 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 all of this begs the question, uh, uh, you know, do, do you have the resources to, to be able to do um, both parts, right, or, or, or uh, at least do the certainly do at least do the mitigation part. Um, and part of getting that budget is convincing um, uh, management that you need that budget as a compliance officer, which is always a battle, uh, no matter what the topic is. Uh, do you have uh, some um, uh, suggestions to uh, privacy officers and compliance pe- pr- professionals that are going to be responsible? Uh, if something bad happens, mm-hmm. uh, to to be able to get the budget and get the resources and and focus to get this done, what are what are some uh, um, uh, possible yeah. what's some possible advice for them? <laughs> okay, well, don't hold me to it, but here's here's what I'm seeing, and I think the world is different even five years later from when I was sort of in the trenches operationalizing compliance, working in house large organizations. We were very siloed, right? Privacy might have been part of legal, maybe it was uh-huh. part of marketing, but 
you knew you should talk to IT security people, but the worlds didn't connect that much. What we really saw change in the last couple of years with GDPR was security got uh-huh. the budget. <laughs> so uh-huh. if you're a privacy officer, make friends with your security team because <laughs> that's, I think, my best advice. And IT team, because they're the ones getting the budget because what they're hearing and what they're able to push through because they're used to having a seat at the board table, right? What are, how many breaches did we have? Report uh-huh. on them. How secure is it? Um, they have tend to have a bit more of a direct line to senior management executives or even the board itself. So my my uh, takeaways, if you haven't yet made good friends with your security and IT teams, do because they're, and, and also what we see as the solutions become more complex. I mean, you can hire law firms and consultants and, and there's tons of automated software out there, right? But as these solutions become more complex, the um, more and more people are sitting at the table to decide. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, yeah, um, not just you. No, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. although, it seems, although it seems like that sometimes. Um, well, well, Teresa, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for taking some time uh, in these last couple of episodes to talk to us about uh, privacy and, and the oncoming uh, uh, changes that we're going to see here in the United States uh, that are not only going to affect uh, us sitting here in the United States, but affect uh, any organizations that are operating in these jurisdictions. Um, it's been really uh, illuminating, and, and I appreciate your time. Well, it was my pleasure. So thanks once again for joining us for this uh, second part of the two-part discussion on privacy. Uh, please join us again next week. Uh, please, uh, if you're going to be in uh, Washington uh, for SCCE here uh, in the next week. Uh, look forward to seeing you there. Uh, or join us for one of our upcoming webinars or other events. Uh, we'll keep you posted here. Uh, but until next time, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.